Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part two of our sermon series entitled The Joy Genome. Please enjoy. Of, of lasting happiness. If you if you haven't been here, you you haven't seen maybe the lead up to these videos. As as literally, there's two of them that both have different outlooks on life. That one of them has just a typical negative disposition where everything is kind of half glass empty, and the other one just seems to be able to find a silver lining in every situation. And so, how many life is full of that? Full of people that just seem to be, uh, you know, there's eors and there's tiggers. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, Eeyore can't do anything right, is always mopey, is always sad, and then Tigger, Tiggers are great at everything, you know, like everything's a fun surprise. So life is full of people like that. And so last week, we kicked off this series just kind of looking at, at the, this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Philippi, and, and he writes it, and it's basically this big thank you letter, and it's this big letter of congratulations, and it's this big letter really giving the, the DNA of what joy really is. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look around the world, I see a world that is is desperately in need of some more joy. When I look at America in particular, we are, we are an incredibly advanced society. We have all the things that we, we, we dreamed of years and years ago. We are the most prosperous nation in the world's history. And yet amidst all of our stuff, we still lack for that inward thing called Joy. And so Paul is actually writing and he gives all these secrets and, and these little elements of how you live a life filled with joy. And I don't even think that was his, his, his original intent. It just kind of comes out in it. And you know he knows what he's talking about because he writes on the subject, subject of joy while being chained up in a prison cell. Now you know you've got the goods if you can write the book on joy when all hell is breaking loose and all things are falling apart and all things are bad, you must have a pretty good angle and a pretty good inspiration from God on this thing called joy. And so last week we looked at that, that sometimes you look at your circumstances and we allow our circumstances just to rob us of our joy. We're not where we want. It's just not how we wish it was. All these things are bad and we wish we had this or this or this or this. Instead of saying why, 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 what we rather learned is we need to say what? I mean, why is good, but we don't want to ask why forever. We eventually want to ask what and say things like this. What God are you trying to teach me? What God are you trying to do in me or through me or show me or overhaul in me? And just say, now what? The second question that we learned we had to ask ourselves too is this, is that when circumstances pile up against us and nothing looks good, sometimes we just have to ask the question, so what? Everybody say, so what? That many times we look at circumstances that seem to be just so huge and they rob us. They make us miserable people. But in the light of eternity, they are petty things. In light of, of the bigger picture, in light of bigger priorities, they are incredibly petty things. And you know what's funny is this, is I find that whenever I preach on a subject that the Lord seems to um, test me to see whether I'm full of it or not and what I'm saying. And so sure enough, I... Um, I, I have this moment, like, okay, let me tell you the deal. I, my wife parks in the garage... Because that's how it ought to be. You let your wife in the garage, and then you, you know, you, I, I park right in front of our home on the street. And I never, ever, ever, never park in the driveway. Because that way she can get in and out freely. Are you, are you feeling me so far? Well, she is out with some girls and doing something, and, and I decide to leave with the kids. And originally, I'm going to take my car, so I just pull in the driveway real quick thinking, yeah. and then it turns out I have to take her vehicle instead. And without thinking, I just jump in the truck, roll up the garage door, and do not look behind me. And you hear that crunch, you know that crunch sound? 
It just that, and you crunch into your, now listen, listen, listen. It's one, now, if, if somebody else had to run into me, I'm pretty merciful, pretty gracious. Had it been my wife, I'd have been like, babe, don't even sweat it. It's all good. Hey, we all make mistakes. It's a whole nother thing entirely when your dumb self does it to you. Like, 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 so I, I, I literally, and, and my kids are in the car with me, so I can't flip out in front of them, right? And they're like, dad, what happened? What's that crunch sound? And I'm fuming. And I'm like, oh, it's all good, kids. It's nothing. And I get out of the car and I shut the door. And I'm like, I just start getting, I get so just absolutely mad and living with myself. And I go look at it. I'm like, oh, man, the little, the little emblem on the front is all like, you know. And I am just fuming because I did it to myself. That's the worst part of it all. And I hear this little voice in the back of my head. God, are you really going to let that rob you of your joy? No. (laughs) Todd, shouldn't you just say, so what? Yes. So what? (laughs) Hey, y'all, this was Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Sunday afternoon. Everybody say, so what? So you got to look at life circumstances. Sometimes you say, now what? Sometimes you say, so what? But you, you have to come to the conclusion that joy, if it is dictated by your circumstances, is going to be fleeting. That is not even joy. It's really what is, is what we call happenstance. That happiness and temporal happiness is a byproduct of our circumstances, but joy is a product of our perspective. And when we change our perspective, we get our eyes set back on God, we have the ability to see things differently. And hopefully as we see more like God sees, we will then live as God wants us to live. Everybody say, okay. So today we will continue that journey because, you know, we we laid a foundation last week, but there's things that you have to build on top of that. And here's where we go. As as Paul continues to write, and when we get into Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, go there with me. This is what we'll discover. So Paul says... Therefore, in light of what we just talked about, remember, you got to remember, like, the Bible did not have chapter and verse. We just added that in later so we could find stuff faster and have cool Bible drills. So, so, so it was just a continuation of thought and a continuation of one single letter. So he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. So we're, here we go. We get back to his joy now. We're talking about your joy, his joy. It's all going to wrap together in the end. He said, make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing. Just so you know, this is really hard what he says to do here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This, I mean, we stay there for the day. Let's, let's close in prayer. Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. These words here are unique. They're actually in the Greek language. They're only found in any other, only one other ancient document. And it was something that was written as, uh, in essence, it was written to describe two political battles going on where one guy was trying to beat another guy. He goes, don't live a life where you are trying to beat everybody else or one-up everybody else or sabotage the other guy or step on one person to get ahead. Don't live that life of selfish ambition and vain glory or vain conceit. You don't try to live a life trying to one-up everybody else. But rather in what? 
Humility. Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interest of others. Everybody say, others above myself. Let's say it again like we really want to discover what this means. Everybody say, others above myself. And with that, we'll pray. Father, thank you today, God, that your words are true, even when we are wrong. God, that your words are true from every generation, from culture to circumstance, God. God, it's just true, and we can build our lives upon it. And so, God, we pray that you would use these words to rearrange our mind, to rearrange our heart, to, to just get inside of us and overhaul us from the inside out, Lord God. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. So here we go, and Paul is automatically getting into the idea of joy, and he starts talking about how you get along with other people, how you relate to other people, how you connect to other people. And he goes, and here's what we discovered, and I've said this before, that your physical health is connected to the type of relationships that you have. Have you ever heard me say that before? That literally, the the health that you have. It's, it's, put it this way, it's better, I've said it like this before, it's better to eat a Twinkie amongst friends than to eat broccoli by yourself. Because you, literally your physical health is dictated by the quality of your relationships. But here's, we're going to expand that. Not only are you talking about your physical health, I'm talking about your personal well-being, your personal level of joy and satisfaction in life is connected to your relationships. We know this because when we, when we evaluate what people say on their deathbeds, they're not clamoring for all their collections and clamoring for all their stuff. They are reaching out for people. There is something lost in them. It's usually an emptiness because of a void left by your relationship, something they wish they would have done. And when they feel guilted about life, they're not guilted by the lack of stuff. They're guilted by the lack of quality relationships, by what they didn't do, by what they didn't say. So at the end of this life, what are we really reflecting on? The relationships that we have in life. And he's saying, I'm going to give you the key to some lasting joy. It's in the type of relationships you have with the people around you. He says there's a right way to go about doing it. And the key component is this. It's humility. In humility, you've got to be able to live a life where you lift up others above yourself. Let's keep reading. So so he goes on and he defines this even further and he gives us a model and a blueprint for what it should look like. So he says, in your relationships with one another, this is how to do it. You've got to have the same mindset that Jesus had, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, there's that word again, and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. So Paul comes out and says, you know what the key to joy is? The key to joy has something to do with the relationships that you have on planet Earth. And I'm going to give you the model because Jesus shows you how relationships are actually meant to be done. And the cornerstone to it all is this, is humility. Now, normally, that is not what I think of when I think about great relationships. Normally, you know, if you're in a marriage counseling situation, you'd be like, let's talk about your communication skills. Let's talk about how well you, you, you conflict resolution. Let's, let's figure out all these things. But, but Paul says there's actually something. Those are, those are more like one layer deep. When you go two and three and four layers deep, when you get down far enough, you know what you find? You find that pride is the greatest obstacle and the greatest barrier to healthy relationships and that humility is the key. 
And when you live a life of humility, that's what opens the door to the greatest relationships that you'll ever have in life. Because Jesus is that model. Let me show you the picture. Here's the one who, as God, decided that he wasn't going to keep his power, but rather he would strip himself of his power for your benefit. Meaning this, I don't have to be powerful. I don't have to be all this and all that. I'll let God do that for a moment. I'm going to rip myself and strip myself of glory and power, not for my, but for your sake. I'm not going to, I'm going to humble myself and become a servant to you. There was an article that I read real interesting. It was, it was, you know, there's all those people magazine, hundred most good looking people or hundred most powerful people, hundred most influence. You got a list for everything. They, they actually made a list. And it was called the 100, um, what was it referred to? The 100 least powerful people in the world. Like, how many know that's just not the list you'll want to be on, is it? 100 least powerful people in the world. And you know what the whole list was? The list was, let's find people that have so uh, jacked up their life that they've ruined it for themselves. And so they go through and they list like, you know, like, okay, the CE of BP Oil. You know, you dump billions of gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico and people hate you and you lose your job. That's bad. Arnold Schwarzenegger was on that list. The guy who founded MySpace, he was on that list. You know, took Facebook and stuck it to him. You know, they they had all these different people on the list that had had power and had lost power, either because of bad mistakes, bad timing or moral failures or whatever it is. Let me tell you the, the least powerful person in the world was. It was Jesus. But it wasn't because he made a mistake. It wasn't because he had a moral failure. It was because he stripped himself of power on. But you got to remember that. That God literally restrained himself for your sake. That he literally stripped himself of glory and majesty for your sake. And he goes, this is how you do relationships. And humility is at the key of it. I'm going to give you a few thoughts on humility this morning. And we're going to work through this pretty quick because it's mom's day. And I know you got brunch. Are you ready? Now, I know that none of you people deal with pride. So... We're going to talk about other people, um, and you're going to help them when you're done here today. A couple thoughts on pride and humility. Number one is this is humble people do not announce their presence. Humble people don't do that. Humble people don't need to draw attention to themselves. Humble people don't have to be the center of attention. Humble people, it doesn't have to be all about them because that's in essence what pride is. Pride says it's all about me and I'm in the middle of it. I'm the center at it and I'm the center of my mind, the center of my heart. I ought to be the center of the universe. I'm at the center of it all. But humble people, they don't, they don't see the world that way. They don't see themselves that way. They see God is bigger than them and them is smaller than that. And I, And they view other people not as something that they need to get ahead of or get above, but rather they see people as someone that they should lift up. So I don't need to draw attention to myself. And the reason why this is so important, don't, don't miss the big picture of you discovering lasting joy and happiness in earth. See, the problem with being a proud person and life having to always be about you or you needing to be at the center of the tension, here's the crashing reality. There's always somebody more important than you. So you live a life. Constantly trying to be better than other people when there is always somebody better than you. There's always somebody just kind of better looking or got more money or got way. They're just more important than you in that situation. This is why we follow what we call the shotgun principle. In, in Jesus' day, he has this moment where he's teaching people this idea. And he says, whenever you go to a festival, remember, they lived in an honor culture where you never, you never wanted to be dishonored or embarrassed and you always wanted to be esteemed and honored. They lived in a very high honor culture. So Jesus says, whenever you go to a festival, don't go sit up at the big table 
sit at the little table. And then that way, if they call you up, you look good. The worst thing in the world you can do is go sit at the big table, somebody better than you come along, and then they got to put you down like a little kid's table. Like you don't want to be demoted down. You want to be elevated up. But the only way that you can do that is this. I don't need to go up. I don't have to be the center of attention. I don't have to sit at the most prominent place. I don't have to, I don't have to be in front of everybody. I don't need to announce my presence. It ain't about me. And when you do that, what, what's fascinating is this, is that God says that he would lift up and exalt the humble, but he would put down the proud. So in life, you have two ultimate end results. You either have humility or you have humiliation. Always choose humility. Somebody say amen. Remember other people, don't worry about this. Um, number two is this, is humble people remember where they came from. One of the most dangerous things that you can ever do in life is lose sight of where you came from or lose sight of where you ought to be had God not intervened for you. Where you would be had God not rescued you, saved you, intervened. And some of you think, well, I'm still jacked up. Well, think how worse it would be. I mean, think it could be so much worse that God has saved you from and spared you from. And so it, it becomes real dangerous when you begin to just lose sight of who you are and where you came from. So what, what, what God did to the Jewish people is this, is that every year... At a specific time, they would bring a specific offering, and with their offering, they would give it to God, and then they would quote from the book of Deuteronomy. You want to hear what they had to say every year? This is what they had to say. This is what they had to remind themselves. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. And then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I will bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Do you see what the point of it is? Lord, you brought me up. Lord, you brought me to this place. And Lord, you've given me everything that I have. It is a reminder that I have come from nothing and God, it is only by you that you have established me. Let, me. let me give you some reality checks. Do you really think that you were you chose to be born into that family you were born into? Like some of you are so lucky and so blessed because of the family you were born into. Did you get to choose that? No. Some of you are so blessed with your mind, whether it's for your intellect or your creativity or your, your hard work. I mean, where do you think you got that from? What, where do you think those things came from? So, so it's easy real quick just to get ahead. Once we get a little bit of success or a little bit of prominence or a little bit of money, but, mm -hmm. I did this. I worked hard. You know what I went and, you went, and it's all about us because don't, don't ever lose sight of the fact that God brought you out, that God brought you in and that God has given you everything that you have now. And when we do that, we'll live a more blessed life because in then we won't need to actually lord over other people or elevate over other people, but we can actually lift others up. Let's keep going. Number, number three is this, is humble people. Because of this, humble people are slow to judge, knowing that they don't know all the facts and that they are flawed themselves. See, judgmental people are arrogant people at their core. That's the only reason you can sit in the seat of judgment is because you think you know, and they oughta, and they shoulda, and you oughta, and, and so you get this real arrogant position in life, and you begin to look down. That's the only way you can judge, isn't it? When you condemn 
with judging thoughts and words, you are looking down on other people. And there's a difference between judging things as what they are and actually condemning and looking down on people. And that's what the Bible condemns in terms of judging. But it's, it, the only way that you can do that is to be seated high and mighty and lifted up. That's the only way you can look down at other people. And so anytime you catch yourself judging, you need to step back and say, okay, whoa, whoa. I don't know what they've been through. I don't know where they've come from. I don't know what God's doing in them. I don't know what all their situation is or what their circumstance is. And you know, I got my own bag of issues myself. That's a place of humility. And when I think and live from that perspective, then not only do I stop looking down to judge others, but I can look at them and lift them up, whether it's with my prayer, prayers or with my words. Somebody say amen. Number four is this, y'all are gonna love this. Humble people mind their own business. Humble people mind their own business. Here, here's why. Because when you don't mind your own business, you have to be in the mix. Therefore, it's all about you. You gotta be in the mix. You gotta be in the know. You gotta, and, and sometimes the reason why is because you think you're the answer to everyone's problem. And you're not. And sometimes we, we get too engaged or too over the top getting into people's stuff when the humble person just sits back and says, hey, the, I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit do his job. I believe he's really, really good at it. The Lord is a righteous judge. He will sort that out and he will handle that. I don't need to be all up in their business. Now, here's the deal. If they ask you for help, then you give them everything that you can give them. But if they don't ask, you don't need to say. You can just step back and mind your own business. And by doing that, you don't, what? You get to lift others above yourself. Number five is this, is humble people do not dominate others. Humble people do not dominate others. Now, let me make some sense of this because that, that's a broad term for a whole lot of things. Many times in life, we feel this need to win. We feel this need to be better than other people. We feel the need to be right. Guys, can I get an amen? Um, I'm not acting holy at church like this. Because see, I, 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 for the longest time, needed to be right. It was one thing if I was right, I needed to be right. And this is what I mean by that. I was right, but I had to let you know I was right. I had to let her know I was right. And I had to make sure that everybody, I was right. And I had to be better than, and I had to win. And I, you know what you get up into sometimes when you have to dominate other people is because we are not humble of heart. We actually have insecurity. And so we fill up that insecurity with this bold arrogance that just says, well, I'm just going to be better than them. And so we lord it over people. I try to beat people or step on other people or elevate ourselves other people. Why? Because we have no humility of heart. And the key is this. Sometimes you have to ask yourself this question. When was the last time you celebrated somebody else? See, we get into when we need to dominate other people. You know what we do sometimes? We just have to one-up them. Aren't, these are annoying, annoying conversations, aren't they? You, you know what I'm talking about. Let, let me give you an example. Like you could go out and be like, yeah, hey, I got this new watch. Oh, dude, absolutely, man. I just got a Rolex. Rather than just celebrate that they got a new watch and buy that's cool, it's a great watch. No, no, you had to one-up them. And many times when I see it happening, they're completely unaware. It's like, yeah, yeah, I just got this, this new thing. Or, hey, I just got, oh, yeah. Or it's even, even when you can't one-up them, it's your friend did it. You ever heard that one before? Oh, yeah, you know what? My friend just did this. And like, you know, like, it's like, hey, yeah, I'm going to go on vacation. That's cool. Where are you going? I'm just going to take the family down to Santa Cruz. Yeah, we're going to Hawaii. Santa Cruz is stupid compared to Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like you, you got all these ways that you try to one-up other people. You don't have to dominate. You know what, Paul, actually celebrate other people. Celebrate their success. Celebrate their victories. Lift others above yourself. Now, here's what that means. You don't have to put yourself down to do that. 
You can be totally secure and totally content in the fact that God loves you, that God is with you, and that God is for you. And because of those things, I don't have to, I don't have to elevate up over you. I can just lift you higher than myself. And in doing so, I will have the best relationships on planet Earth. But let's be honest. As long as we're trying to one-up other people, it goes back to the same reality. There will still always be somebody better than you. There will still somebody be a better car than yours, more money than yours, a cooler vacation than yours. So you live a life always empty, always competing, always trying to one-up. And you know what you become? An unhappy soul, a miserable person. Why? Because life is not found in the abundance of all these things. And rather what we find is we find joy when we lift others above ourselves. Let's keep going. Number six is this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. I just alluded to this. It is thinking of yourself less. You see the difference? Because many times we do that and sometimes we play a false humility card. You've seen these people like, oh, no, 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 I'm terrible. I'm awful. Oh, no, 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 I, I'm bad at that. You're, you're good, but I'm awful at that. And really it is, it's, it's a reverse thing. It's a, it's a, it's a play on words. You're, it's, it's a false humility. Because in all reality, when we are insecure people, it's still all about us. Does that make sense? When we're insecure people, we either feel like nothing and feel like worms and we put ourselves down, but still make ourselves the center of attention. The other thing that we do with our insecurity is, is because we don't have any real substance from our relationship with God, we just fill it up with empty arrogance and act as though we're something better than what we are. Either way, we end up pushing people away and destroying the relationships around us and therefore losing the joy that God wants to have in our life. Let me read this for you. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. What Paul is ultimately saying here is this, is that when we live a life where we lift others above ourselves, we find ultimate joy and ultimate satisfaction. The pride-filled life who's always trying to one-up, somebody's always better than you. The one that needs to be the center of attention, somebody's always more important than you. Somebody's always something more than you. So you end up being disappointed and empty and pushing people away in the process. How many of you want longer-lasting joy in your life? I felt like that was a Wrigley's commercial real quick. Like, You want longer-lasting joy. You want longer-lasting happiness. Most of us think that it's in something that's going to happen to us or something that we're going to get. And what Paul is saying is this, is joy is something that's going to happen in you. It doesn't come from your circumstances. It comes from knowing God's plan and purpose for your life and being connected to him. You know what else it comes from? It comes from a, a humble heart. Because when I lift others above myself, I have joy and lasting relationships. Think about the people that you enjoy the most for a second. Think about the people that you, you love to be around. What do they all have in common? In one way or another, they celebrate you. You want to know the, 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 the test of a good friend? Many people think that the test of true friendship or the test of a great friend is who is there when you go through your hardest, most troubling time. 
How many know that would be a, a pretty good test? If they're with you through the thick of it, if they're with you when you're all out and all down, while that may be true and that's a decent test, it's not the best test. I'll tell you the best test is this. Who are the people that are still your friends and celebrating you when you have your greatest victory and your greatest success? When they're celebrating you then and not being jealous of you, then you know you have a great friend. What does that come from? A humble heart that lifts others above themselves. Last story, and I'll close with this. There's a, a gentleman, his name is, you, you probably recognize the name, it was Sir Edmund Hillary. He was a, a famous guy for all kinds of different reasons. He was knighted, he was kind of an ambassador. He climbed Mount Everest. He was one of the first guys to climb Mount Everest, is what he's probably most famous for. And uh, sure enough, throughout his entire life, had reached all kinds of level of prominence and accolades, was an incredibly successful person, but yet really, really known for having a humble heart and loving other people. And so sure enough, in one of his trips back to Nepal when he was going back uh, to Mount Everest for a visit, he was there not to do any climbing, but some climbers recognized him. And they said, hey, we would love to take a picture with you. And so sure enough, he said, absolutely. And so one of them said, hey, will you hold the pick, you know, the, the ice pick that you climb with? And he goes, sure. And so sure enough, another climber who did not know what was going on or did not know who he was, walked up to him and said, excuse me, sir, I just want to interrupt real quick. You're holding that wrong. I'm going to real quick, I'm going to teach you how to hold that just the right way. And this, this, this young, unknowing, arrogant person steps in and tells the guy who climbed Mount Everest how to hold a pick the proper way. And as the story goes, Sir Edmund Hillary listened to him, thanked him, and let him go on his way without saying a word. Why? I want to be right. I could have put him in his place. What's it going to do? It's going to make him feel bad. It's going to make him angry. It's going to make me look away. I don't need to. I could have said, you know what? I'm going to one-up you. I've climbed this mountain. What have you done? I could have, I could have one-upped him. I could have dominated him. I could have been better than him. I could have, I could have made everybody laugh. and made, Why? To what end? To what purpose? I don't need to be right. I don't even need to be better than you. I don't have to be the center of attention. I don't have to dominate you. I don't have to win. As a matter of fact, you know what a humble heart would do? Is it would lift others above themselves. And in doing so, you would find incredible and lasting joy. When I was a little kid, I went to VBS. How many of you grew up and like go to VBS or some type of kids camp or something like that? If you remember, um, there, there's a song that you had to sing. You remember what it was? I got the joy, 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 down in my heart. Hey, down in my heart. Y'all remember that song? It's annoying. <laughs> and you sing it over and over and over and over again. And then they go on to teach you. This is, this is what I learned at Vacation Bible School. Now, it's taken me Almost 30 years to come full circle and, and, and figure this out. Are you ready? But this is what I learned as a kid. Is that joy becomes an acronym where if you live this life, you will find it. It's a life where you put Jesus first, others second, and then yourself. That's what they teach five-year-olds and I can't get this thing down. What if we lived a life where we lived a life where we put Jesus first, others second, and then yourself. What if we lived it where Jesus was the most, his presence and his plan in our life was the most important thing, and then because of that, we tried to lift others above yourself. What kind of a life would you have? You would have a life of abundant relationship. You would have a life that's so fixated on God that you draw your strength and security from him, and therefore you don't need to be right, you don't have to have somebody, because you, you get insulted when people one-up you. When you're humble of heart, it doesn't matter. Lift you up. People take the better seat. That's 
lift you up. It's all good. I don't find my source of strength from you. I find it from my heavenly father. And because of that, I lift others above myself. Let's pray this morning. God, let us live a life that's so about other people that we can celebrate other people. I mean, sometimes that's the question we have to ask ourselves. When was the last time we celebrated someone else? I mean, when was the last time that rather than having a one of them, we just celebrated him and said, man, praise God for that. Man, that is awesome. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. What if we just lifted others above ourselves? What if we never had to win just for the sake of winning? Now, I'm not saying if you're playing basketball one-on-one that you have to lose all the time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in life, in terms of how you get along with other people, deal with other people, relate to other, you don't have to win. You don't have to dominate. You don't have to be better than That's not... What if you elevated others above yourself? Sometimes we ask the Lord, God, remove the pride from our heart, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we still deal with it. Here's the thing I need to tell you, is that sometimes prayer is not the solution to your problem. For example, if you have greed in your heart, the, the answer is not pray more. The answer is write a check and give. And as you give, greed will be broken off your heart. The same is true for pride. If you have pride in your heart, you can pray about it, and I want you to. But at some point, I want you to begin to celebrate other people. You got to do it. It's going to feel weird when you do it. You're going to have like a cringe on the inside of you. It's the pride being wrenched out of your heart. But next time somebody does anything noteworthy or anything praiseworthy, anything, celebrate them. Lift them up. Watch what happens. Ask yourself questions like this. Do you secretly get angry when you're not noticed? If we're getting angry when we're not noticed, it's an indicator that there's some type of pride or insecurity in our heart that, that is messing with us. Do you mind your own business or do you meddle? You're not going to be the answer to their solution as long as you look at life that way. But rather from a distance, let God be the judge. Let the Holy Spirit do his job and pray for them. And if they ask you for your input, give it. And if they ask you for anything, give it until you, you can't give anymore. But until then, stand back and love them with the same grace and mercy that you want to be loved with. Here's a question. Does does your life flow out of being a servant? Isn't this what it said about Jesus? That he humbled himself and became a human and became in the form of a servant. Are you quick to serve? Are you quick to help other people? This is the whole idea of lifting others above yourself. And when you do so, you will find a joy and a satisfaction that you will never, ever get, and that pride will always rob you of if you live that way. So, Father, we pray and ask now, God, God, help us in whatever way that you can, Lord God, to root out any pride that might be in our heart. And, God, let us live a life of constantly loving other people, celebrating other people, lifting others above ourself, God. It's amazing how God asks you to do something like that. And you don't know it, but really he's just trying to bless you. He's asking you to do something for somebody else, but he don't know it's a trick. He's trying to bless you as well. Father, help us to walk with a humble heart and have joy in our life, Lord God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Yeah, let's give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.